This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave here. Um, in the piney woods of North Central Florida and God's country, in the middle of the law studio protected by Crime Prevention 24-7-365, and here we are. Uh, if you make a last-minute adjustments here before we go on the air, i got a green shirt on today. hope that pleases you and you can see me okay. Uh, and we'll get into the weather. Right now, I understand here at the Manly Warthog Command Center, we're under a tornado watch. So we'll get into the weather at the bottom of the hour, but it can be kind of problematic today, I think, in our area. How it is in yours? It's uh, it's a whole bunch of stuff all over the country, depending on where you are. Uh, so there we are. I want to start off with local news today. It's um, we got a character in this community that really has been uh, how shall I say? Isn't it enigmatic? I guess is a polite way to say this. Enigmatic. Um, What's a little different description? You know, here I am at a loss for words. Paradoxical? That's putting it very euphemistically and gently. I have stronger words, but I, this is a family show, so I won't say the stronger words. Uh, let me just say it this way, and the facts will speak for themselves. This is the character who was kicked off the school board or really kind of having a cavalier attitude toward rules and tried to blame it on everybody but herself. And, you know, the governor had to come down and yank her. And then, of course, she got revoted in, which is the way the process worked. But, you know, she had to live in the right district to get into representation of that district. Initially took the position, it really didn't matter because it was her. Or it was, it were, you know, so, you know so, so what difference does it make? And, you know, this is, you know, a leopard doesn't change his spots applies here probably. Uh, this person has been a person of interest uh, for a lot of people in this community. I have been delivered in parking lots in the middle of the night, all kinds of, uh, shall we say, documents about her that uh, people suspect uh, indicate that things aren't being done the way they have to be done for everybody else that she has the way of doing it herself. <clears throat> Another way to remember her <clears throat> is that when she got booted off the school board, um, one of our young Channel 20 <clears throat> uh, reporters doing his job tried to talk to her and she told him to get out of her face. Words to that effect, very rudely, crudely. This young man was the same young man who was 
unfortunately killed in doing his job, I believe, in Orlando. I don't know that she's ever apologized. Um, I don't know that um, if it's happened, she did apologize to that young man's family. Um, I don't know about it. Um, That is perfectly fine. I hope it did happen, but I sort of suspect it didn't. So Dion McGraw, you know, has been a person of interest in the community for reasons I just cited. I want to once again applaud Jennifer Cabrera for writing very well about this, very thoroughly. Uh, we advertise with each other. We've had her on the show. Tim Martin had her on the show. Very bright lady. Very precise, very responsible. And she has re- uh, reported that um, in an, uh, uh, an article that she's written recently on the Macho Chronicle about Dion McGraw, who is now, as they say, back in Alachua County School Board member. But here we go. <clears throat> the same old, same old. Initially, it was thought that she owned the property, which was living by its own rules and not um, recognizing any of the violations that she was doing. And really taking the position that it was her property and she could do what she wanted to with it. <clears throat> As it turns out, it's not her property, so to speak, legally. And this is a kind of a way in which, you know, these type of people do things. The property's in her daughter's name. You know, I know, you know, we're not that dumb, you know. But I know what's happening in this piece of property because... While it purports to be just an office building, it's taken issue with the use of the office building, and it has begun to uh, have parties there for a program that she claims is perfectly legal and perfectly benign, but violates the zoning verification of that area and uh, has been told so and has basically told the city officials and the neighbors go pound sand. And the parties continue. And we talk about a party, we talk about extended visitations, parking on neighbors' lawns, excessive noise, all the irritating things that can occur when someone decides to just um, do what they want to do. He or she wants to do. You know, that's how we got after this stuff in the city of Gainesville with the students having these parties in residential neighborhoods. Somebody would have a rental in a residential neighborhood. Everybody else be trying to get some sleep at a reasonable, decent hour. And the one student rental in the neighborhood would have cars parked up and down the street. And those type of parties usually didn't start till after the bars closed. So they went on from like two to sun up. And we finally 
we're able to curtail that in a way by saying no more than three unrelated in a, in a rental. And also enforcing a parking diagram on the yard of the particular piece of property, which then could be used to limit the uninvited cars. But here, McGraw has repeatedly ignored complaints, both formal and informal, that are complete with photo and video evidence. And it's taken the position that she doesn't have to really cease and desist from holding events uh, because it's her property. She even went so far as to put up a cease and desist warning to a neighbor who had a right to complain about all this and told that neighbor to stay off her property, McGraw's property. So now all this has really come to a head, so to speak, because the can's been kicked down the road again. The meeting to have a a resolution for this, if you will, that was to take place with all the uh, important players there, the city, the neighbors, McGraw, with a special magistrate who was going to hear this agenda. And uh, the city removed uh, this item without any explanation from the special magistrate hearing agenda. So we don't know what the story is behind that. But, uh, you know, the pattern of behavior is pretty clear. I can do what I want to do. And if you try to make me stop, I won't stop. In fact, I'll threaten you for trying to make me stop. And we have a good example of this right now. Albeit, sadly, with a current member of the school board. By the way, whose son was popped downtown a year or so back carrying a gun in a parking lot. She had to go get a liar to get him out of that. I know who the liar was. But, you know, this is kind of what we're involved with here. I don't know what you can do about the double standard or what you do with people who are rude, who don't follow the rules. We had an example of that with the uh, racist who showed up at the canine meeting who wouldn't follow decorum. You know, essentially that meeting with that display by that person was not dissimilar to the behavior on the floor of the Tennessee legislature. And look what's happened to that. It's been turned around now to where the Tennessee legislature is racist or 
asking that the people abide by the rules. You know, this is the, one of the main principles of judo. In judo, you don't confront the energy of your opponent. You use your opponent's energy to flip the opponent. So these people are all kind of judo experts. They, they don't really intend to change. Because, as I said yesterday, they have a joker in the deck. It is always there if they need it. And they liberally use it. And it's the race card. And the LGBTQWXYZ people have piggybacked on that and have borrowed, as we say in Lake City, that race card and applied it to gender instead of race and play that card. And in some way, how that all got tangled up together in the gender confusion behavior of the transformative person who unfortunately shot up the Christian school, got mixed and blended in with Race on the Tennessee legislative floor. I don't think um, the anti-woke, the Republican of whatever you want to use to call them that, um, have anything they could use like this. They don't have any technique like this judo technique. But there may be there may be a little hope. You keep your fingers crossed that somebody will come to their senses. We'll keep an eye on Dion McGraw. We've been watching her for a long time. This is really just another event in a series of events. I assume you've been following this Nike sports bra deal after the Nike sports wall uh, giant hired a transgender activist to uh, wear the sports bra, the company's sports bra and leggings. Now, you know, this is so different from what started Nike. I was around for the beginning of Nike running with the track club in the early 70s, 71, 72, 70 along in there. We couldn't get from an American manufacturer track shoes. American manufacturers had been manufacturing basically basketball, football shoes. So we went into Track and Field, a magazine, and we ordered our shoes. And we got a shoe either called the Anasuka Tiger, which was made in Japan, or we got the Adidas, which was made in Germany. And we wore the Anasuka Tiger or the Adidas primarily. Well, Nike, which wasn't didn't even exist yet. I think it was Steve Prefontaine 
the great miler who said, hey, how about us having a shoot here? And so the guy who started it used actually used a waffle iron to pour the rubber into the waffle iron and make the waffle iron bottom. And then came up with a Nike swoosh, which is one of the most successful trademarks you'll ever find. And started a shoe we could buy here instead of having to order out of track and field the Onasuka Tiger or the Nike or the Adidas. And boy, that caught on. It caught on so much that there was a shoe business that started here in, in the Gainesville, Florida called Athletic Attic. But Jimmy Carnes, Marley LaCorey, some other guys. And they offered all these shoes there in the attic of Bill Pinner Shoes. The second floor, so to speak. <clears throat> Became known as Athletic Attic. It was all about track. Simply track. Now look where we are. We now have a Nike sponsorship of a sports bra using a transgender individual, Dylan Mulvaney. But women have begun to reject this. Um, There is, of course, now starting, you might imagine it would start, a a bra-burning Nike bras burn them, and you can protest. And there's a TikTok user who calls herself Chatterbox Mama who has posted a burn bra challenge Tuesday on TikTok in which she's seen setting a Nike women's sports hop on fire while she tells viewers that she's sick and tired of the company pushing women around. The New York Post has covered this. Now, Nike is suffering all kinds of criticism, consequently, even from Caitlyn Jenner, who was on the box of Wheaties as a male decathlon winner, and that is no light achievement. And, of course, Riley Gaines, even podcast host Megan Kelly, is complaining that if you're going to wear a sports bra, you should at least have breasts. And there's also, we would be remiss if we didn't report this, a protest over Bud Light, which supposedly has lost $7 billion in sales since they started using the transgender to peddle the alcohol drink. Huh? Huh? What a world. What a world. Now, the title of today's show is Burn Bras. Burn Bras, baby. Wow. 
And we know what happened to Riley Gaines when she went to San Francisco State, but you haven't heard the campus reply from the student government there about Riley Gaines' appearance, which she was hooted and booed and chased and threatened off the campus. And here is the reply by the student government. Remember the judo technique. So the student government is claiming that the reason there was this disapproval, shall we say, of Riley Gaines' appearance is because Riley Gaines' rhetoric was discriminatory towards trans women athletes. Huh? And that, by allowing Riley Gaines to come to San Francisco State, San Francisco State had weaponized and threatened not Wiley Gaines, but the protesters. Their memo says, quote, I, as president of Associated Students, condemn and stand against the hateful rhetoric and promotional violence Spread, spread by Turning Point USA and Riley Gaines, as well as the confrontational behavior of the campus administration. And the memo continues, as president of the Associated Students and on behalf of the organization, I call on President Lynn Mahoney and her administration to hold themselves accountable and host a community forum to hear how damaging these tactics have been to our student body. You know, this reminds you of the canine protest. It's not the guy who ran from the cops. Not his fault. It's the canine's fault. It's not the protesters' fault. It's Riley Gaines' fault for making the putting the protesters in a position where they had to be pro where they had to protest. Never mind the fact that Riley Gaines was ambushed and hit by a man wearing a dress and that she had to barricade herself in a room for three hours. The memo made no mention of that, nor did it apologize to Gaines. The memo points out that it was the presence of the cops that was uncalled for, and the violence was spread by Riley Gaines. The judo technique. 
It is the reverse the madness. Reverse the madness. Don't take the position that you're guilty. Take the position, by golly, that I didn't do it. It's their fault. Now, Harvard, who people like to think is the be-all and end-all of everything, Harvard, actually has, you know, it's filled with liberals, just like the University of Florida is. It actually has put together a faculty-led council just yesterday on academic freedom, which is dedicated to the free exchange of ideas as a cornerstone of reason and rational discourse. And believe it or not, there are two Harvard professors, Stephen Binker and Bertha Maldris, who are liberal, who have sort of speak come to their senses and have written, quote, an academic establishment that stifles debate, betrays the privileges that the nation grants it. End quote. Free speech, they furthermore write, is essential to human progress. Huh? Boy, that should be nailed to the water tower. They claim, the authors of this proclamation, that while they they feel comfortable expressing controversial, unorthodox views, lots of other people on the campus don't. And that diversity, equity, and inclusion, bureaucracy, is so powerful at Harvard that has become oppressive itself. So they have taken the position that Harvard should not get in the in, in the practice of disinviting, harassing, shaming publicly, boycotts, or expression of disfavored opinions. Well, well, well. We'll see if that takes root. It is nevertheless maybe a hopeful sign. Word's got on the Word's got files. We'll be right back after the weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. 
Hey dads and kids, join head coach Billy Napier at the Gainesville All-Pro Dad Experience Saturday, April 22nd at 9 a.m. at the University of Florida Sanders Practice Facility and Fields. Learn fatherhood tips and participate in activities with your kids while rotating through stations on the field. It's only $25 per family, so register today at allprodad.com slash events. The Gainesville All-Pro Dad Experience is brought to you by the Florida Department of Education, Dairy Council of Florida, and Tyson. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show... Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files, where Ward's weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. 69 degrees and going up to 82, but we're going to get pounded this afternoon if the predictions are correct with a lot of water, which we need. I uh, hope we do. I apologize. I apologize. So these storms are supposed to hit the southeast U.S. Drenching rain, strong winds. We'll see if it comes true. Uh, we have, meanwhile, I got um, all kinds of whiplash stuff going on from shorts to snow and the uh, other parts of the country. There's, um, um, that's basically it. I mean, it's a mixed bag, but essentially for us, what we're preparing for here later today is quite a bit of, uh, heavy weather and hopefully it'll bring a lot of rain. We need it badly. Um, Ward's weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. You know, Lewis Oil is a fossil fuel supplier. And I'm going to go in now to a story that I'm sure you know some of, but I'm going to detail a little bit for you because I've been studying the articles about it, listening to the analysis of it. And of course, it's this push to make everything electric. So here's the first of um, my research documents about this and what it means 
And it's written by Daniel Jurgen and published in the journal. Uh, it is, of course, uh, he's vice chairman of the Energy, Climate, and Clash of Nations. Uh, he's the author of a book called The New Map, Energy, Climate, and Clash of Nations. You know, you're being sold a pig in a poke, as we say. And it's being crammed down your throat. Um, there's so many similarities between this and the way in which the city of Gainesville is trying to disengage uh, from the city commission managing the utility. You know, this is basically uh, that business business model of the utility being handled by politicians this is basically that business model on steroids. California has announced that by 2035, all new cars in the state must have at least two and a half times as much copper as conventional cars today. And by the way, let me tell you something about copper. People steal it every time they get a chance. And I predict that the theft of copper is going to become, copper will become more valuable than gold. And it's valuable already. But the next 12 years, basically what's happening is government is ordering all cars to be electric. And so mining is going to have to ramp up. The vast supply of minerals that this is going to require is going to drastically increase. Now, let me tell you about these batteries. The supply chain is going to become so important. As I got older, I went from a chainsaw that you pull to start to one that has a battery. And, you know, guess what happened after I'd had the chainsaw for a while? Inexplicably, the battery went bad. Well, it wasn't like you could change the spark plug or you could clean out the carburetor or the oil filter. It all came down to the battery. So I went to the dealer and I said, hey, man, I said, I need another battery. He said, well, yeah, it is under warranty, but we can't get them. I said, what? Yeah, we can't get them. The supply chain. It's not very efficient right now. So I had a chainsaw sitting on the shop bench, I couldn't use. Because I didn't have the battery. And I couldn't get the battery. And after about six months, I finally got the battery. Now that's just a little old chainsaw. Don't you think that's going to happen? Electric vehicles. 
You can't work on them. There's nothing to work on. Furthermore, this net zero carbon emissions by 2050, and if you haven't heard about it, you're going to hear about it, because old Biden goes to Ireland and tells the kids, point blank yesterday, I'm going to do away with fossil fuels. And there's a reason he told the kids that. And I'll get into that with you. So as countries reinforced by this United Nations stuff that Ted Yoho and I went in yesterday, went into target net zero by 2050. Guess who's going to be in the driver's seat? Well, it's not going to be the United States. It is simply something we can't do. The need for copper by 2030 alone is going to double. There's going to be electric vehicle batteries, charging stations, battery storage. And the copper involved in this is highly concentrated geographically much more so than oil production. And by the way, if you haven't seen a mining hole, it is the ugliest thing in the world. Three countries, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Russia, produce 40% of the world crude oil supplies, okay? But only two countries mine 40% of the world's copper. Peru and Chile. And those governments are extremely unstable. You got to factor that in too. Because developing a new mind, according to the research here that I'm sharing with you, takes 15 to 20 years or more. All the planning, the logistics, the construction, the arduous negotiation and paying permits. There's a $7 billion underground mine in Mongolia, which just went into operation. It's the fourth largest copper mine in the world. Remember what I said? We're going to be told to ramp down our pioneering But the irony is, as we ramp down our pioneering, other countries are going to ramp their pioneering up. All we're going to do is shift the nasty industrial behavior to a developing country with an unstable government. The rise in mineral prices, of course, is all going to be tied into Uncle Joe's pressure 
for corporations, which they always slam on one end of the deal, and then intimidate on the other. They're going to have to invest in this new net zero, or they're not going to get subsidies. And the subsidy is going to be paid for by us. So if a company invests $6 billion to develop a new mine, and the government and the executives and everybody celebrated a banquet, and a few years later, another regime is elected, and the price of that commodity has gone up, all of a sudden, you can see what will happen. Investment becomes more problematic. Countries can become unstable. 70% of cobalt, which is absolutely essential for electric vehicle batteries. Are you ready for this? Comes from the Congo. And these mines, many of them are hand dug. And don't dare use the word slave labor. Okay? Furthermore, about 60% of the world's lithium is processed in China. And 47% of the copper is smelted there. By comparison, the U.S. processes 4% of the world copper. Now, what do you think that means? And costs for mining and processing in the U.S. are going to be considerably higher than they're going to be in the Congo. Right? Where if they don't have at least slave labor, they'll have indentured or whatever. It's the biggest hoax perpetrated on mankind. And don't think that the supply chains issue is not going to be a huge problem. Now, most of the support for this automobile world of EVs is coming from the cities and the urban affluent. There's no question about it. And what is happening, according to more of my research, is that, and here we go, with a business model that is so similar to GRU and the city commission. The the automobile business is going to become a de facto state-directed Utility. How's it going to be done? It's going to be done through the Environmental Protection Agency's new vehicle emission standards. That's how they'll stop the exhaust coming out of your internal combustion engine. 
And this isn't about clean air. It's about forcing the automakers to produce more electric vehicles that the consumers will have no choice but to buy since there'll be fewer gas-powered vehicles. Now, to be clear, according to the research that I'm looking at here, the Environmental Protection Agency lacks the legal authority to mandate electric vehicles. So how's it going to do it? It's going to do it indirectly by setting CO2 emission standards, which will be so strict that the only way they can be met is to electrify automobile travel. The goal by 2032 is to have two-thirds of the light-duty vehicle sales be electric vehicles. It was only 6% last year. Meanwhile, gas-powered cars are subsidizing these electric vehicles because right now they're not profitable even though they cost 10 to 40% more than any alternative. So there's going to be consumer, electric vehicle consumer, and battery production tax credits, which according to this analysis, and I'm sure there'll be more analysis as we go along, so by Dow Jones has done this, $523 billion of tax credits over 10 years. Amazing. And don't think it isn't happening. And the conclusion is that the United States, which is You heard Ted Yo and I talking about it. Has always championed individuality and competitiveness and the ingenuity of the individual entrepreneur. Yet this is central planning, Chinese style, that is going to be running the biggest transportation system, if you will, in the history of mankind. Incredible. And one of the groups, oh, Uncle Joe, I doubt he thought of it himself, is going to rely heavily on. You know, this is really smart. I have to I have to hand it these characters. They're going to rely on the power of social media, which they already censor, 
to mobilize young voters. And to help do that, he has pulled actually into the White House and given them their own space, young people whom he calls influencers. Now, these influencers are the kids who have grown up in liberal school systems, listening to the climate activists, whose way of getting information is digital. And so, you got to hand it to them. Does this work? We just said it worked in Wisconsin, where around the universities, the votes were enormous over the abortion issue and got a person elected to the United, to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And they keep complaining about TikTok. I don't, don't expect TikTok to go away. Because they're going to use this platform. They're going to use Instagram. And they're going to spread the word and promote this huge subsidy. They're going to have their own briefing room in the future. And they're going to be an integral part of the planning that goes on in the world of influencing voters. You know, there's been so much speculation about the what ifs and how did Trump lose and this, that, one thing, another. And, you know, we had to go to the beep word because. YouTube kicked us off permanently because we dared to use the beep word. And I ran across this deal, this story about Lyndon Johnson. And I've always said it's going to take 50 years or so before the real truth of that election between Biden and Trump comes out. And here is an example of that. Some audio recordings have been uncovered about Lyndon Johnson. The man who had them has now died. And his family found these labeled cassette tapes at a San Antonio home, and they donated them last summer to the library on the campus uh, of the University of Texas at Austin. And what the tapes reveal is that Johnson did not win his election It was for the then Congressman Lyndon Johnson. 
who wanted to get into the U.S. Senate. And the tapes reveal how it was done. On one cassette, it sounds like the deceased gentleman is sitting in his car. And you can hear cars going by. And he's talking about finally getting the number of votes it takes LGB to win. These were at work in the 1948 Senate race. 1948. And they were done through a political boss, George B. Parr, who could do favors and coercion. And he ordered that 200 votes be added to box 13. And then those fraudulent votes were added in alphabetical order with the names coming from people who had not voted in the election. And these fraudulent votes gave Lyndon B. Johnson a primary victory over a man named Coke Stevenson, who was then the governor, by an 87-vote margin. From that, Johnson earned the nickname Landslide Lyndon. And he went on to easily defeat the Republican in the general election. This was long before the Republicans dominated Texas, of course. Now, Johnson had been elected to the U.S. House. This is all according to an AP story. In 1937, he had run for the U.S. Senate in 1941, and he lost to then-Governor Wilbert Lee Pappy O'Daniel. And that election was rumored to have been corrupt. But LBJ's second chance comes in 1948, and he's determined that this time he'll do the election manipulation, if you will. And from this 1948 Senate victory, uh, Johnson was catapulted into national attention. You know the rest of the story. He became Kennedy's vice president. The irony in all this, when you look back on it, was in 1965, Lyndon B. Johnson, who had gotten his political career from fraudulent votes, as the cassette tape documented, signed the Voter Voting Rights Act. Huh? They gave the federal government the authority to take over voter registration in counties with a pattern of persistent racial discrimination. And that's no longer the case because the U.S. Supreme Court struck it down only in 2013. Huh? How long will it take? 
How long will it take before, well, long after we're gone, it won't be anytime soon because, as you know, there's a an acceptable narrative right now. And anybody who questions that narrative or comes up with an alternative, alternative narrative, well, it disappears. It's about the only way you can look at it. And it's relentless. You know, and certain players get immunity. They just, press doesn't cover it. Doesn't fit the narrative. So I thought it was pretty interesting how you're going to be net zero. Be sure you remember that term, net zero. I guess if you got a Nike bra on your woman, you can go out and burn it and protest by, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a mess, isn't it? But, uh, uh, you know, in many ways, it's all, um, all because of the Internet. People can get such unbridled attention on that Internet so instantly. And by the way, if you haven't heard the frantic call of the mother of the young man who shot up the bank, uh, I don't know. We didn't play it today, and I don't have time to play it tomorrow. i got a guess. But you need to try to look at that. It's really, really sad. Very sad. Someday I'll try to play that for you, maybe talk about it. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.